Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello, I am so delighted and honored to have with me Dr. Joanne Kong. She has written this extraordinary book, Vegan Voices, which she has also edited, which has extraordinary essays and stories from some of the leading people in the vegan animal rights movement. Dr. Kong, tell us about your book. Okay, well, first of all, thank you so much, Jane, and for all the fantastic work you do through all of your your uh, podcasts and your new television channel and everything. It's just astounding how there's so much interest in veganism and that it's gone mainstream. So the idea for this book, it really just kind of popped into my head one morning that I needed to create Vegan Voices as a book where readers could simply be inspired to see what compelling stories and backgrounds people share in terms of their plant-based journey because veganism as so many people are realizing more and more it's it's more than just a diet of course it's fantastic for your health but it touches upon so many things in our lives like the environment how we relate to our kindred animals i'm an ethical vegan So putting this book together was a way to help spread the word about just how inspiring and impactful pursuing the vegan path can be. You have some pretty notable people. Did I see Ingrid Newkirk on the list? What was her story? Oh, gosh. Ingrid's story, she was talking about how in her younger years, she went to a restaurant and the waiter brought... I think three lobsters out and asked which one she wanted to consume. And she did make her decision, but kind of as a subconscious thing, she was aware that one of the lobsters was waving its antennae. And later on, when she actually put the lump of lobster into her mouth, she broke down in tears. And she said that what was awoken in her was this connection to this kindred animal that she was contributing to its suffering and being a part of that. So sometimes our realizations aren't necessarily really obvious ones. Sometimes it's emotional and even spiritual signals that that our brain and our heart processes. So that was a particularly moving essay that she wrote and there are many others of course (laughs) she went on to found people for the ethical treatment of animals which is uh, arguably the most powerful most impactful animal rights organization in the world always achieving victory after victory after victory so let me ask you a question uh you are a, a doctor you've done an extraordinary tedx talk that has gotten hundreds of thousands of views You've been around this movement for a while. Why is it that some people make that emotional connection and otherwise good people don't? Um, 
just people who care about their children, care about their dog, care about uh, their community. And somehow the the issue of caring about these 80 billion animals we kill every year, 80 billion more animals are killed in 12 to 14 hours than all the human beings who have died in all the wars in human history. Um, and it's just a mass torture machine. Um, if you did to a dog what you do to these uh, cows, pigs, chickens, and turkeys, you'd be arrested. You would be arrested and put in jail for animal cruelty. And yet there's no laws that cover, essentially no laws, very few right. laws that cover farmed animals, and they're not enforced. So what, what's your take on why some people have that aha moment and others don't? Well, first of all, I do want to mention that I am an academic doctor and not a medical doctor, just to um, kind of let your listeners know. Um, I'm also a longtime musician, and the emotional impact of music, I think, ties into one's inner sensitivity. And I think that that sensitivity is something that really factors into people's awareness of animals and how they're being exploited. When you think about it, when we were growing up, I mean, I look at my own background and I never thought about the animal, the being that, that was sitting on my plate. I mean, I was just conditioned like most people are to accept the cultural traditions, what our parents grew up, and that tradition, that meat-eating, animal-eating consumption is just so ingrained that most people do not even think about it. So I think that's where the challenge is, and you mentioned people that have companion animals. It's really about waking up within people, the awareness that they already do love animals, and it's a, a matter of expanding that circle of compassion. So my advocacy is not about being judgmental, telling people what to do. It's all about education, and it's about helping people to realize that the greatest gift we really do have as human beings is the compassion we share with others, and that we can draw upon that to put that awareness not only within our own families, but to our kindred animals as well. So I really want to draw upon the positive aspects of how we are innately compassionate as human beings. Yeah, but of course, the challenge is getting people to go into action on that. People can be walking around in their yoga pants talking about how everything is love and how compassionate they are. But if they're subsidizing, paying money to, to people who are on the lowest rung of the social order, who have no other choice generally in what they're doing for a job to kill for them. Imagine these slaughterhouse workers uh, killing, you know, five days a week, eight to 10 hours a day. Uh, and they live horrible lives. Oxfam, uh, did a, did an investigation and found that some of them are forced to wear diapers because they have so few bathroom right. breaks. Um, right. So it, you could say, I'm all love, I'm peace. And then if you give money, uh, I covered crime for years. 
you don't have to be the person who pulls the trigger to be convicted of murder. If you're part of the right. conspiracy and the plot and you drove the getaway car uh, and you participated in the planning, you can just as easily be convicted of murder in a criminal case involving uh, the killing of a human being. So people feel or are told by society they're off the hook, but they're not. They're not off the hook. Um, and now we see climate change. We see devastation and animal agriculture is a big part of that. My question is, uh, some of the people that you've had write uh, stories for your fantastic book, Vegan Voices, which I'd urge everybody to get, um, some of these folks um, uh, are advocating a vegan world by 2026. I did a documentary on one of the people right. that you have, Dr. Mm -hmm. Silas Dr. Rao. He says we've got to hit a, a plant-based society by 2026 or we're going to cross all these points of no return and literally could face human extinction along with the extinction of all wildlife. 2026 is when at the rate we're killing wildlife, destroying their habitats to create cattle grazing land or to grow commodity crops to feed 80 billion animals. Um, that's that's the point at which we will have wiped out all wildlife. That's just a few years from now. So um, how do you reconcile uh, your compassionate, kind, patient, non-judgmental attitude with the clicking, the, the ticking clock that is the countdown to year zero when if people don't start putting that innate compassion to action, we could all be in deep trouble. Look at what's happening in Kentucky with right, the tornadoes right. that have devastated. These are not normal um, meteorological events, okay? There's, this is the appetizer to an environmental apocalypse, Dr. Kahn. Right, yeah. And I'm so glad you brought this up because when I look at how humans relate to these environmental sustainability crises, and of course you're right, this is, this is a crisis point. Typically, I believe that humans will only react when things face them in their immediate lives. To most people, even though, of course, this is changing in light of, for example, the horrible climate events like, like what just happened in Kentucky, people still on the whole tend to look at the environment and climate change as something that's kind of far off as something that, oh, it's too huge of a problem, someone else has to take care of it. So there's this kind of um, reluctance to act. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we see pollution, we use fossil fuels, you know, so those are a little bit more immediate in terms of impacts. And look at what just happened. Um, I've been in touch with uh, Salish Rao, at, at what happened with the UN climate conference, where of course the emphasis was on renewable energy, fossil fuels, there was not any agenda program dealing with animal agriculture. And mm. again, that points to how deeply ingrained the consumption and exploitation of animals are. People just at this stage, and this is so critical, they're not willing to make the radical changes at the larger leadership and governmental levels. It's just not happening. And even if it were to happen to totally redo our infrastructure, redo our renewable energy resources, all of those other things, 
would take decades and billions and trillions of dollars. So that's why I always point to how we need to make compassionate choices easier and easier on the individual level. So while you have the larger corporate governmental bodies that are obviously slow to act, we need to take the power within ourselves to to really spread the message. And we do it in lots of different ways. I mean, just look at how consumers are driving the plant-based movement. By 2040, the plant-based market is going to be worth up to like $150 billion. We're seeing more and more plant-based options, vegan options, in regular grocery stores. And that really shows the power we have at an individual level to create change. Right? I agree and, and, with you, you know, 100%. I mean, look at just in the past five years, you know, it's really, really exploded. So people should not underestimate the power they have with their dollars, their consumer habits, to really push this forward. Every. Yeah. Every meal is not just Every a meal, personal right. choice. It's a an economic choice, a sociological choice, a political Absolutely. choice. Um, it is the consumer who has to lead the charge because the government is actually right. subsidizing the meat and dairy industry. There's there's actually a good argument to be made that if the government stops subsidizing the meat and dairy industry to the tune of many hundreds of billions of dollars, it would collapse. People are switching to plant-based. One of the reasons right. that they may not go for that veggie burger that's now in every fast food joint practically um, is that it's a little bit more expensive sometimes, but that's because of the taxpayers being forced to subsidize the meat and dairy. The average hamburger that you can get for a couple of bucks at a fast food joint would be 10, 15 bucks if it wasn't subsidized by the U.S. government. So it's actually the government talking both sides out of its mouth saying right. we want to solve climate change, but we're subsidizing uh, animal agriculture at the same time because the government has been co-opted by industry, the meat, dairy, and pharmaceutical exactly, industry. Exactly. The pharmaceutical industry would not ex would collapse if yeah. people got healthy by eating fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grains. They wouldn't need cholesterol-lowering drugs, erectile dysfunction drugs, uh, statins, and all these other things that are multi-multi-multi-billion-dollar uh, products. Um, we've got a caller, Paige from Los oh. Angeles. Your oh, question or, or thought. <laughs> Hello there. Oh my goodness. Hi. So I was sitting in a movie. Hello. I was sitting in a movie theater watching They're Trying, excuse me, not They're Trying to Kill Us, which is also a fantastic film, not out in the theaters, but available uh, um, via streaming. But I wanted to say I was watching uh, Eating Our Way to Extinction, and there you were, Dr. Joanne Kong. And I wanted to yes. uh, ask you, what was your message? It went by so quickly. I wish I could see that film oh. again. Um, tell us what it was your message in that film. I re that film was so poignant. Please, back to you. Right. Um, I think I had like a total of a minute and a half in the documentary, but basically I was pointing out that we've run out of time and that the most positive action we can take is to turn to a plant-based planet. Um, that was my main message. Um, and, and the film, I felt, was especially powerful in conveying that this is a global problem. It was especially 
powerful in showing uh, footage and commentary from some of the indigenous populations that point out to, to the viewers that the earth, it doesn't belong to us. We're part of this, this web of life. And if we do not change our ways, um, that we will cease to exist. So um, I felt it was a powerful film and I was so glad to be involved with it. We've got another caller, Danny from Portland, Oregon. Danny, your question or thought? Hey there. Uh, thank you, Dr. Kong, for, um, for having this book, for putting this book together. And Jane, thanks for putting on the show. Uh, yeah, I'm just listening. And I think, you know, what really resonates for me is this whole uh, issue that, you know, people are changing, but it feels like to us not fast enough. And um, I don't know what my question is other than, you know, chiming in on this issue of, I know that for myself, that I was that person. I was, before I went vegan almost six years ago, I was kind, I was compassionate, I cared about everything. And I thought animals were so adorable and cute and great and we shouldn't hurt them. But I didn't make the connection and I even made fun of vegans. I uh, thought they were really uptight and extreme. So it wasn't until I had, it really was a spiritual, I had a spiritual transformation. It really just hit me. And, um, I think, but now that I'm, you know, now that I got it, it's hard to live in a world where most people either don't get it and don't want to get it, the willful ignorance. And I, I guess my question is, um, how can we on a daily basis continue to be ambassadors in, in the variety of ways for veganism and for, the awareness of animal rights and speciesism, that speciesism is just as valid as uh, there's sexism, there's racism, there's homophobia, there's classism, there's speciesism. And I know we haven't gotten there yet. And I, I guess, you know, it's just a conversation that I'm listening to and I have a lot of thoughts and, and, uh, and I'm not even sure what the question is other than I'm glad the conversation's <laughs> happening. I'm curious. Oh, go ahead. I'm curious to know: was there a catalyst for your transformation, which you mentioned as being a spiritual one? Yeah, great question. Um, well, for me, I, I actually wrote about this. Uh, is that uh, I, my my first writing was how an elephant got me to go vegan, and so my gateway animal were, were elephants. And it was actually the plight of Kavan, the elephant in the Islamabad Zoo, that came to my attention while I was eating. I mean, we were eating, you know, tapas of all every kind of meat and fish. Me and a friend who was up from, she was up from L.A. And she was telling me this terrible story about this poor elephant in a concrete shed. And, you know, it was terrible. And I just thought, well, that's horrible, but what can I do? And prior to really going, becoming a voice for the animals, I didn't want to hear about the animal cruelty. I knew it existed, but I just couldn't handle it. It was too much to absorb. And I just, it's just like, don't tell me, don't tell me. What can I possibly do? Don't tell me. And I thought that our food system was a, necessarily, a necessary evil. I didn't believe that agribusiness was necessary. And I knew it was, you know, mixed up with, you know, uh, subsidi subsidies and all kinds of corruption and, 
you know, cor- you know, corporate greed. But I felt like our food system was a necessary evil because, of course, we would eat, we need animals. I didn't go that much further in my head. But in, in terms of your question, it, that was the entryway for me. So once I became involved with this elephant, the cause, and I got very involved and became a voice and I started to get to know other vegans in the, they were all vegan in person here. When I went to the meetings to free elephants, it was that a person, everything was vegan that she served the snacks and nobody pushed it. And I, even when we did, I, we were doing a movie uh, premiere and I volunteered to like, you know, greet people, take pictures and everything. And then I got a slice of, uh, of pizza right there, a non-vegan pizza while we watched the movie. Now, the movie was from Suffering to Satori, which uh, means from Suffering to Enlightenment, interestingly. And I thought it was just going to be about elephants, but I think they started putting, putting there was some things in there about other animals. And I, I put the slice of pizza down and I, and my friend said, I think I'm going vegan. And I said, I said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this too. Like I was literally disoriented. And I think uh, what I Danny. also want to say about this experience. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to say that what you're raising is a very, very important point. And I, I do want to talk to Dr. Kong about that a little bit, is that we we need to find out what those moments are where people pivot. And you've just raised one yeah. that I think is is absolutely crucial, is a connection with one particular animal or one particular cause. And then you start the hypocrisy kind of becomes mirrored to you and you see Oh, I'm I'm being hypocritical. I'm killing this animal while I'm trying to save the other animal. Um, Danny, one of the most amazing activists, Danny Rukin from Portland, Oregon. And uh, we love you, Danny. Thank you for all you do. You work very hard to you've become like a very, very from zero to 60 activist, uh, really involved in the campaign against fur and all sorts of other things. So we absolutely love you. Thank you, Danny Rukin from Portland. And I think what she points out, too, is that for vegans, the best thing they can do after going vegan is that there are countless ways to be involved, whether it's as a writer, a journalist, a speaker, a nutritionist, an athlete, doing community organizing, setting up a veg fest, donating, helping out with sanctuaries. There are countless ways to get involved. And in the book, Vegan Voices, there's a wonderful activist, Jane, I don't know if you know Curtis Volmar. He does a lot of work with direct action and anonymous for the voiceless. But his essay, I thought, was particularly powerful um, because he basically just says, there's never going to be a perfect moment when you feel that your message is totally fine-tuned and you have all the best technology and viewers. He says, just start. You know, make a difference as long as you're centered on the animals and your approach is nonviolent, you can find a way to make a difference. And I think the book really speaks to that because all of these writers have their own unique paths and they have found their way that they felt they could be most powerful in speaking to veganism and the animals. Oh, well, that's absolutely true. If I waited till everything was perfect, I wouldn't do anything. <laughs> There's always a technical problem. There's always a challenge. And we just do the next indicated thing and stay out of the results and hope for the best and clean it up in post. That's what I that's say. Right. <laughs> now, one of the big issues with veganism is parents, children. 
Um, some people are afraid that their kids are going to get sick, even though if you look at what's happening with American children, the type two diabetes that are developing at a young age, the obesity, obesity. that they're suffering, um, all sorts of health problems. You look at the standard American diet, you'd say there's a problem with that. And yet yeah. when parents want to make their kids uh, plant based, everybody's like, oh, are you sure? Are you careful? When there's so many plant based kids that are super healthy, have better health stats. Um, they're not getting diabetes. They're not obese for the most part. They're, you know, they're fit and healthy. And actually, it's much more the way our grandparents and great grandparents ate. They didn't have fast food. So they weren't eating, you know, burgers and shakes. They were eating a lot of vegetables. If you look at a average dinner table from 100 years ago, it was much more plant based than the food today. And we don't get that sense because when we look back at a history, we often look back at kings and princes, and they were eating perhaps more meat because they were the wealthiest, but that's why they got things like gout, which was considered the disease of uh, the rich. Um, so uh, Serena Farb is somebody who uh, wrote the uh, chapter about uh, her parents forced veganism on her and what she got out of it. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so... Serena is just amazing. I mean, her activism, and I don't know if you've looked at any of her um, little posts on, on Instagram, I think, where the way I, I love the approach she takes in her advocacy, because even though this is a serious issue, she almost makes it a positive, sometimes even lighthearted sort of manner that she gets across, and that really draws you in. And so in her essay, which I'm actually turning to right now. Well, um, you can just describe yeah. it in general. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it. she generally talks about, about the values that these are positive values. And so why shouldn't we instill them in our children and, and how she growing up that her parents would at different ages have different types of messaging in terms of what's appropriate to to tell to a really young child as opposed to someone who was older. And she says that being raised vegan is the biggest blessing that she could have asked for. Um, and that it really changed her whole worldview. And, and she's an, an amazing activist. And just an example of someone who is truly living her values. Um, you were talking about health and I wanted to bring up something that I found so hilarious. Um, my TED Talk I put up in 2016. It's called The Power of Plant-Based Eating. And at a certain point, starting about two years ago, I noticed that the um, underneath the video, there's a statement that apparently is now appearing under a lot of the plant-based doctors that says, do not look to this lecture for medical advice or something, or that the speaker makes strong assertions about dietary issues, something like that, which is really ridiculous when you think about it. Um, we've really grown up in this whole culture that's really reversed. The idea that if you become ill, you go to your doctor and the doctor prescribes a medicine that you'll probably have to take for the rest of your life, you know. And what we need to do is reverse that paradigm that food 
is medicine, that what we put into our bodies is what is going to help determine our health and, of course, the health of the planet. Um, so it's this whole idea that we need to create a new model of health. And you have all the tremendous plant-based docs who I know you, you know, such as Dr. Michael Clapper, who has a program now called Moving, I think it's called Moving Medicine Forward, where he's visiting hospitals and training medical students on proper nutrition. It's really astounding that less than a third of current medical schools offer even any kind of program that has the semblance of teaching doctors about nutrition. And even when I see my own doctor, I still get the, you know, the dreaded question, right? Are you still getting enough protein? All oh, of my Lord. I know. It's so um, annoying. It's, it and often annoying. the doctor is in terrible shape. Yes. The doctor is this big telling me, are you getting enough protein? I'm thinking, what? you're getting too much food. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. doctors do not have better health stats than the general population. No. So which and, is why and they yeah. get very little information about nutrition, as you mentioned, and yet they're dispensing all these I know what I would call I cliches, you know, make sure yeah, you yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got a sick system. We're going to take a short break. We know we okay. got some more callers. We're going to sh- take a short break on Voice America Radio, but we're going to stay live on Facebook. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email in to janeunchainednews at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Hello, Jane Velez Mitchell of Unchained TV. We are talking to Dr. Joanne Kong, who has curated and written and edited this extraordinary book, Vegan Voices, which really is a must read for anybody who cares about saving their health, uh, saving the planet. Uh, avoiding a climate apocalypse, which is barreling toward us. And, and those, those phrases aren't exaggerations anymore. When uh, tornadoes uh, that 
are just something out of a horror movie sweep through as they did Kentucky and just wipe out factories. I mean, we're talking about a new level of extreme weather that is connected to climate change. This is no longer about if you care about your grandkids or if you care about your kids. It's about if you care about you, your own health, your property values. um, Let's make a switch. We've made it so easy for people. And yet there is this intense, intense denial um, and a distinct taste for discussing the subject, Uh, an otherwise compassionate and highly intelligent, highly educated person who was a doctor, a PhD, or actually a doctor, um, said to me, it'll never happen. That's a way of trying to shut the door on that conversation. So how do you deal with that, Dr. Kong? Yeah, I would like to say that sometimes when you're talking to people, the people who push back the hardest, I think the reason they do that is because deep down inside, they know there is that seed of awareness that they are doing something that is contributing to all of these problems. And I was on a podcast a couple weeks ago where one of the callers was talking about how he was not able to have Thanksgiving with his family for like four or five years in a row, but he would always patiently explain to them his reasons for why he did not feel comfortable coming to Thanksgiving dinner. And finally, I think it was the fifth or sixth time, his family members came to him and said, you know that vegan thing? Let's try it. You know, so Sometimes you don't know when those seeds of awareness are being planted, which is why it's so important to keep the messaging going and to engage with people and find the ways of connection, what matters to them in terms of, well, gee, have you thought about different ways of of putting together healthy foods. What are your favorite kinds of foods? Hey, there's a plant-based alternative for that maybe you're not aware of. Um, finding what, what matters to people. Maybe it's an athlete you're talking about who wants to improve their performance. And you could say, hey, I have a friend who enhanced his sports performance by going plant-based. Or have you, by the way, seen the documentary Game Changers? And also talking about how going vegan has benefited you. Because I think what we are as role models says a lot to people. When people see that you're energetic and healthy and you rarely get sick and you do so much, people people really do notice. Um, Here at the university where I teach, I have students that come up to me and say, hey, I'm just curious to know, how do you take care of yourself? Uh, How do you stay so healthy? And so finding those inroads, those ways to engage in conversation is so important. Now, um, I just want to jump in. Do we still have the caller, Tom, from Chicago? Tom, your question or thought for Dr. Kong of Vegan Voices. Am I on? Hello, Jane. Hello, Dr. Kong. Uh, Jane had brushed this briefly in the last segment, and my question was, how do we introduce uh, school kids about veganism, educate them in that aspect? 
is my opinion is that's where it really needs to go because that's the generation 50 years from now are going to have the biggest impact with climate change. It's going to affect them the most. And I've, I've wanted to say for a while, I want to see Cube of Truth shown to these kids. And I believe Jane mentioned once, parents complained it was too violent. But I, I believe this is where uh, it needs to be taught in veganism in school kids that are going to inherit this planet. Thank so you, Tom. It needs to go. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great question. Dr. Kong? Yeah, I mean, part of the issue we're facing, of course, is the whole issue of school lunches. Industry, the milk industry, um, so heavily influences uh, the USDA, which is also a part of making those meal options in schools. But we are starting to see organizations that are pushing to provide more plant-based options in cafeterias. I look at all of the books that are coming out about veganism, and there are so many more children's books coming out that, um, you know, with beautiful artwork and pictures of animals that are another way of, of making children more aware. There's one of the writers in the book, Ryan Phillips, his essay is called Artivism for the Animals, and he does a lot of illustration, and he talks about how you can speak to children or show children what the animals go through and do it in ways with art and drawing that is non-graphic but still gets the message across. And then there are fantastic organizations that one can contact, such as FFAC, which is the Factory Farming Awareness Coalition. One of the writers in the book is Claudia Lifton, who is now with Humane Education. But for years, she went to public schools, spoke to thousands and thousands of school kids, and turned many of them on to greater compassion and awareness of what food choices are all about. So I think the change is happening out there. And um, you're exactly right, though. It's about our young people. They're the future and instilling awareness in them. Wow. Well, um, I first of all, I don't know if you have an audiobook yet, but I really urge you to get an audiobook because with the pandemic, especially people are I've listened to a lot of books on Audible. I'm listening to audiobooks all the time. And uh, that's because I'm walking and I'm right. doing if I'm vacuuming, if I'm uh, washing the dishes, if I'm walking, I'm listening to a book and uh, I've not through a ton of books and I would love to listen to this book. Um, and let me ask you this. Sometimes I think we're in an echo chamber. Uh, a lot of vegans talking to each other. I've gone to a lot of screenings where I go into the uh, theater and I look around, I go, oh, I know everybody here. They're all vegan. And we're watching a movie about veganism. Uh, that's why I started Unchained TV. Unchained TV is a... Um, an app. It's a new streaming network that's available. You can download it for free on your phone, Unchained TV, whether you have an iPhone or an Android, you can put it on your Roku TV device, your Amazon Fire Stick, and your Apple TV device. And um, you can just watch it the way you would watch any other show. All these things, you know, whether it's HBO, Max, they're apps, they're apps. And this is an app. I'm trying to reach pre-vegans. I, I feel that the word vegan is often scary to people because there's a finality to it. Uh, whereas plant-based feels more like, oh, I'll have that. I'll have what she's having. 
And uh, I was really thinking about starting a campaign or encouraging somebody to start a campaign that says plant-based just for today. Um, because there is an addictive component to uh, what the way we're eating. Uh, f- food is sexualized. You know, these TV commercials are done by often movie directors who just need to make some extra cash and they know how to manipulate people. They, they can turn a steak into something that seems seductive. They can associate it with patriotism, upward mobility, family values, keeping up with the Joneses for men, masculinity and meat for women, femininity and uh, uh, dairy. And they're very manipulative and uh, they would never for once ask, is this a good product? They just put their skills to work to make some money. So when you're counteracting uh, that that level of intense brainwashing, uh, there has to be, um, you know, we have to be clever about it. Whoever frames the debate wins the debate. One of the reasons why I think younger people are going uh, vegan is because they're they're not watching television. Because when you see that steak in a giant screen like this, it's much more impactful. It's harder to brainwash just with uh, a phone and they're all on their phones. So uh, I think that there's better strategies that we could use to reach the mainstream, which is what I've been trying to do. I don't want to spend another minute except talking to you about strategy, talking to another vegan about veganism. Right. And, you know, everything that you're doing is just so amazing because it's about reaching people in a very broad level about making better life choices that that are simply better for their children, for their health, that it's an overall thing. And that, you know, you were talking about people see veganism in a very narrow sort of light. And we still have a lot of those stereotypes attached to us like, oh, vegans are weak. They only eat lettuce. Um, They're hippies. You know, of course, those are starting to fall away. But I think while you were talking about plant-based for a day or for just for today is fantastic because it's about the journey that you make. It's about veganism. One of the, I should point out that one of the writers in the book, Shankar Narayan from India, he has this saying. He says, veganism is not a destination. It's a journey. So I think whatever we can do to, to instill that thought that, hey, this is something we're going to try today, and you can do it at your own pace, it's something to explore. It's exploring what makes you feel good, whether it's mentally or physically. It's opening your mind to thinking about things that maybe you hadn't thought about. And I think that's really important in the messaging. Um, especially since so many of us advocates, we want this to happen now, right away. But um, needing to remember that, that people are inspired in different ways, different kinds of messaging impacts them in different ways, and to just keep on trying. Um, and you also address the fact that, you know, we're kind of in this bubble. Um, I try to get out and talk to other groups that aren't necessarily vegan-focused, whether it's environmental groups, like here we have a student green group that's concerned with sustainability, whether it's taking part in a women's leadership conference, whether it's speaking to a unity or Unitarian church. 
there is an organization that that talks about living spiritually, um, you know, various um, segments of the community that would be open to this kind of messaging. So whatever we can do to broaden the message and base it on compassionate values and improving lifestyle, it's all going to be for the good. Now, some countries are more advanced or have different levels of veganism. Um, Some cities, uh, Berlin has a huge vegan um, scene. London and Mexico City has reportedly more than 80 vegan restaurants. I've heard from people who are there. So there's a huge scene there in Mexico City. This is a global movement. Um, You have a, a discussion about Israel and veganism. Tell us about that in the right. book. Um, do you know Ori Shavit? I don't know Ori yeah, Shavit. She, she's like, like maybe the top vegan, one of the top vegan influencers in Israel, next to Gary Yurovsky, of course. Um, but she talks about in her essay how as a food journalist, she, before being vegan, she led this, you know, she calls it a hedonistic lifestyle where she was going out to visit restaurants and surveying the social scene and that sort of thing and writing about food in a food column and then she talks about um, dating a guy who was vegan and she thought oh gosh this isn't going to work at all but being the open-minded journalist that she is she said well i should at least consider that and that really opened up the world for her and um she has been involved in a couple of vegan restaurants, writes a lot of books, that kind of thing. And she talks about Israel because it's a small country and a small population, and there's a mix of cultures that there's simply more openness to trying new things, and that includes dietary considerations. Um, well, you're so, absolutely right, yeah, because when I was right. in Berlin, mm-hmm. uh, I uh, was asking experts there why is it that there's so many vegan restaurants such a vegan scene in berlin and she said well when the wall came down um artists from all over europe converged Mm -hmm. on east berlin because a lot of the buildings were abandoned and there were actually artists who were squatters and they took over buildings and they there was a whole sort of you know counterculture ambiance and out of that sprung uh, experimentation, which led to veganism. Exactly. And yeah. so, yes, tradition, of course, is no excuse for cruelty. Um, people who try to cite tradition uh, and say that justifies, look, evolution is what happens when we get rid of traditions that don't work for us anymore. Right. right, That's right. I love that saying. I'm going to remember that. Culture is no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, excuse yeah. me, cruelty. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, feel, oh, I could never be vegan. I could never be plant-based because I'm an XYZ. Uh, because I've heard everybody cite all of their heritages. I've heard every single heritage. Uh, it has nothing to do with that. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter what your career is. Today, there are Eric Adams, former who's now the new mayor of New York City, is a vegan. And there was just a huge article about the fact that he wants to bring healthy food to the kids. Yeah, He's he's a former (laughs) cop. He's anti-crime. 
and he's a vegan. Okay. There's a whole movement of vegan firefighters. I'm talking tough guys, you know, the oh, yeah. uh, engine. Uh, Rip Esselstyn with yeah. uh, engine two. Engine, yeah. yeah, the, uh, the <laughs> vegan firefighters. I mean, it's like there's no, we have, we have crossed all those uh, stereotype cliches that we're somehow nothing wrong with people who are hanging upside down from a tree. But no, we're not hanging upside down from a tree wearing purple hair. You know, uh, I'm a journalist. You're a concert pianist. And uh, the next person I talked to is a lawyer. And the next person is a doctor. And the next person is. And we are all people and um, some of the toughest guys. You know, there's been an attempt in the uh, by the meat dairy industry to sort of scare men away from going vegan, saying it's somehow non-masculine. The strongest man in Germany who is can Patrick lift, Baboumian. Patrick yep. Baboumian could lift yep. entire cars, who walks <laughs> down the street with three guys on either side on a on a gurney. You know, he holds yeah. them up and walks. He's 100% vegan. Um, Tom Brady is plant-based. Yeah. Um, some of the top athletes are plant-based. I mean, Tom Brady, arguably the most successful football player of all time, is plant-based. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, but more I don't know if he's will. strictly <laughs> vegan, but he is he just, you know, he is plant-based. So, you know, there's these stereotypes that they try to reinforce to scare people. And right. so there's that reaction. Well, that's for you, but it could never be for me because I'm X, Y, Z. But you know what? Heart attacks don't care. Right. Um, right. Every, yeah. every year in my neighborhood, people I care about who I see walking their dogs, I say, where's so-and-so? Oh, he died of a heart attack. Where's so-and-so? She died of a heart attack. I haven't seen them in a while. One out of every four people gets wiped out by a heart attack, which is primarily from arteries to the heart getting clogged with plaque. Like, you can laugh in our faces, but at that moment where your heart stops functioning because Mm -hmm. cholesterol, which only exists in animal products, there is zero cholesterol in anything, any vegan product. When that clogs your arteries and you're having a heart attack, you go, oh, it's too late to say maybe they had a point. Right, right. Yeah, um, Ray Sikora, who's one of the writers in Vegan Voices, her essay is called There Is No Other, and it's so eloquent how through telling her personal story, she talks about how we have to overcome these artificial barriers of cultural differences and differences in language that we have to see see each other as equals and, you know, to, to not have that sense of division that separates us in terms of what should be important to us um, and what our ideals are. And you were talking about the artists in Germany and I really had a fantastic experience. I, I actually was in Berlin about three years ago. I don't know if you've been to the Veganist Zomerfest. It's this huge, um, huge three-day vegan festival with tons of vendors and speakers and artists and everything. And to me, as a musical artist, I've learned really the impact of music to spread the vegan message because music is that thing that transcends language because it doesn't rely on words. It's something very powerful about musical arts and how it's another sensory pathway into our awareness. And we're seeing more and more how artists and and writers and dancers 
are using the arts as a form of advocacy. There's an organization called Compassion Arts Festival. Are you familiar with it? It's based in Massachusetts. Um, it's every fall, and Ellie Sarti, who's the amazing organizer, she puts together like a 10-day event where animal advocacy is centered around the arts and all the different ways that we can expand our messages. So when a lot of are, different things to do. Yeah, We're talking about how vegans are everywhere and all, all careers. I know you're an accomplished pianist. When you say you're teaching, what are you teaching? What, do you, what, what is your field? Okay. I'm a pianist and a harpsichordist, and I work with about a dozen students one-on-one, -on -one, and these are instrumentalists or singers, and I work with them on their performance skills, on how to present themselves, um, and I also work with chamber ensembles, which is small groups of performing musicians. It may be a string quartet, or a trio. Um, so those are our fantastic ways to interact with young people. And of course, every once in a while, the health issue might come up as we're talking about physical health and how it impacts one's performance. So oftentimes I'll use that as a pathway into talking about plant-based eating. So wherever the opportunity presents itself, you can get that message across and help raise people's awareness. You are extraordinary. We only have a couple of minutes. So what's next for Dr. Joanne Kong? You've written oh, this gosh. incredible book. You're promoting <laughs> yeah. it. I urge everybody to buy it. What a great Christmas gift to give. Yes, to absolutely. your free vegan relatives, right? Yes, Get a absolutely. stack of them and hand them out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's next for you? Yeah. So, so if you want to buy the book, um, it's on Amazon, or you can go to um, Lantern Publishing and Media, which is lanternpm.org, who published the book, to buy it there. And like Jane said, it's a terrific holiday gift for anybody, any of your friends or family who are considering or maybe have dropped hints that, hey, what's all this vegan stuff about? Um, and uh, my next activity that I have coming up, as you know, Jane, uh, Silas Rao um, has a Vegan World Convergence event, and the next online event is happening at the end of January. So I'm going to be giving a talk about food choices, food systems, sustainability, and compassion. So that's kind of the next thing I have coming up. Well, you are very extraordinary. First of all, I just want to say on a personal note, I'm taking piano lessons. And oh, it's you hard. are. And it's hard. So I have uh, utmost respect for you. My goal is to be able to make it through one piece without a mistake by the end of 2022. Fantastic, Jane. Um, and I want to thank you so much. We've not met in person yet, but this is the next best thing. And I want to thank you for everything. I mean, you are just remarkable. And, and our right back friend in common, Jeff Adams. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, he edited just... <laughs> our documentary on Dr. Yes. Cyrus Rao, Countdown to yeah, Year Zero. And which he's, everybody he's should see. Yes. And it's amazing. It's, so. it's on Unchained TV. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so you can see it there. Um, I just love your work. I love your message. Uh, I urge everyone, get this book. Give it to people. You know, anytime somebody comes over here, I don't care whether they're here to do a, a plumbing issue. I give them a... If, if they seem like... I, I give them a book 
because I get a lot of books sent to me. So I'm going to get a few vegan voices and give them out to folks who come. Because you know what? You can never predict. Uh, some of the people who come here just to fix something, I'm talking about plumbers and, and, and construction workers and handymen. They're some of the most interested people who are the most interested and I will get into conversations with them. Other people you think, oh, they'd get this. They, they're not interested. So thank you so much. Vegan Voices, Dr. Joanne Kahn. Thank you. Thank you All right. And thank you, Voice America Radio, for what you have done. Give us a voice to talk about this stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.